You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. In this series, Slaves No Longer, we walk through Romans chapter 6 and explore the beautiful truth that in Christ we are no longer slaves to sin. We're going to finish our series, Slaves No Longer, and we're going to finish out chapter 6 of the book of Romans. Next week, Marty will be um, walking us through praying the Bible. So next week will look a little bit different simply because of the nature of the teaching. We want you to be able to practice what he is teaching next week just a little bit. So just be prepared that next week will look a little bit different or feel a little bit different. But I know that it's going to be very much beneficial because praying the Bible, we're praying God's word that is so important uh, to our walk with God. And then the, the following week, we're actually going to have a, another guest come in, Colton. He's an in, in, uh, intern up at Pleasant uh, View Baptist. He'll be coming in uh, to deliver God's Word, and then we'll do a couple weeks in um, talking about Christmas, and then our annual service of how we look back to everything that has happened over this past year and be looking forward um, to 2022. So that's kind of lining us up for the next several weeks, just so you know a little bit of what to expect. But today we're going to finish out Romans chapter 6. So let me pray and then we'll dive right in. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that we are slaves no longer. Sin no longer has power over us, Father God. Lord, we give you praise for that. Lord, that should... Give us joy. Father, just ask for your help today. As we finish up this chapter, what Paul wants to say to us, what your word wants to say to us, Lord, I just pray for the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts, Lord. Lord, for those that have been following for many, many years, Lord, I just pray that, that your spirit will work in our heart to see they no longer utter, are under the power of sin. And Lord, maybe today is the day that, that your word will be accompanied by your call to change a heart. And for the first time, they respond. And Lord, we pray to that end also. We know that this is all the work of the Holy Spirit and him working in and through your word. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Now, Billy Sunday, many of you might have heard of him or may not have heard of him. He lived way back in the time of the Depression. He was a, a baseball player turned evangelist. And he was one of those fire and brimstone evangelists, right? He, he's he just one of those that, that is, uh, is just consistently up in, in tone, and, and he's just one of those fire and brimstone evangelists. And uh, Billy had really a simple message, and he was quite effective all throughout the time of the Great Depression. And he had one simple message, and it was kind of Paul's message. He preached the main problem in life is sin. That's the main problem that we struggle with each and every day, is sin. It affects us. We are sinned against, and, and things within us, our desires within us, they, they come tumbling out when life comes at us. And that is our main issue. That is our main problem. It is sin. And the flip side of that, of his message, is Christ as the only answer to man's needs. It was Christ. He preached Christ and him crucified. In, in one of his um, 
biographies, I, I found a little uh, snippet about him talking about sin, his, his attitude towards sin. I know last week we were talking about do not let your members, right? A couple weeks back we've been talking about how don't let your hands, your feet, your tongue, your eyes, don't let your members of your body to be subsequent to sin, to, to be um, used for weapons of un righteousness. So he talks about this. I just thought this was a very practical way. In, in many ways, Jesus talked about this when he said, well, if your eye sins, gouge it out, right? He was into that radical amputation. And I know that's just a word picture to try to get us to see the seriousness of sin. Billy says this. He says, I'm against sin, he said. I'll kick it as long as I've got a foot. I'll fight it as long as I've got a fist. I'll butt it as long as I have a head. I'll bite it as long as I got a tooth. When I'm old and fistless and footless and toothless, I'll gum it till I go home to glory and it goes home to perdition. It's his attitude towards this. This is kind of Paul's attitude as he's, we've been walking through Romans chapter 6, that we are to fight sin. Billy understood the, the big picture of Romans 6. He firmly believed that we are justified before God by faith in Jesus Christ, but his faith in Christ did not produce a cavalier attitude about his own sin. He was not cavalier about it. I mean, he's talking about using the different parts of his body to fight sin. He was not going to how this chapter starts out. He was not going to um, sin so that grace may abound, right? He wasn't falling for that. He wasn't falling for cheap grace. He was not going to dis disobey because he is under grace and not under the law. He's going to obey Jesus. He's going to obey Scripture because of all that Christ has done for him and, and who he is in Christ. He did not take grace lightly. He cherished the grace that God lavished on him. He cherished the grace that God lavished on him. This should be every single one of us today. He knew if Christ's righteousness is the ground of our acceptance with God, it does not make us indifference to sin, but dead set against sin in our lives. And in fact, in the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ also, as we come alongside them to help them to fight sin. As Paul winds down his argument, he will continue to show us justification by faith, which always brings sanctification with it. If you are justified by faith, if you are truly justified by your faith in Jesus Christ, then that faith will bring along sanctification. It will bring along the desire to fight sin. It will bring along the desire to want to be more and more like Christ. Meaning there is no justification without sanctification. If at the end of your life or if you've been walking with Christ for 10 years or 10 months and you look back and like, man, I just nothing has really changed, then are you truly justified? Are you truly saved? Are you truly born again? This is what Paul's trying to show us. Sin no longer has power over you. You have been brought out of that. Some teachers before us would say it this way. This chapter teaches, Romans 6, um, why the faith that alone justifies, faith in Jesus Christ, is never alone but always brings a holiness of life with it. It always brings that along, that we are progressing from one glory to another, as Corinthians tells us, that we are, we are being transformed a little bit by a little bit. You know, it, it's interesting how that works in our lives, isn't it? Sometimes we feel like that we're just inching along, right? Or 
centimetering along, <laughs> so to speak. And sometimes God is almost like, okay, you're here. I need you to be there. There you go. I'm going to take care of that for you. You need to keep going, right? It's interesting how that works in our lives. And sometimes we're inching along and we want the big steps. And sometimes he does the big steps and we're grateful for that. But that's not always how he works. So the, the chapter teaches why the faith that alone justifies is never alone, but always brings holiness of life with it. On a whole, the trajectory of your life should be, I want to please him. If you're a Christian, if you're born again, if that's who you are today, then your life should be, I want to please him. I want to please him. Not to earn anything, but because of all of what he has done for us. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Last week we left off in the middle of the paragraph of Paul's argument that everyone is a slave. I know that's hard to hear. That everyone's a slave. That everyone on this planet is either in Adam or they're in Christ. They're either a slave to sin or they're a slave to righteousness, to God. That's what his argument is. That's what all of chapter 6 is about. You fall in one of those two camps. So let's go back to the beginning of, of the paragraph and pick up Paul's thoughts as we finish up this chapter. So let's begin with Romans 6, 15 and 16. It says, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? Either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. So the simplest way to, to kind of sum up those two verses is this. The master you obey is, is evidence of whose you are. Whichever master that you are obeying today, it gives the evidence of actually who you belong to. Right? And we know that, that we've already unpacked this and, and saw this, that, that the world is divided. You are either under the kingship of God or under the kingship of Satan. That's what the Bible teaches us. There's no middle ground. I know that our culture teaches this and, and our psychology and our psychiatry teaches this, that we're, we're naturally good people and if we just get them the right environment, the right education, everything will be just fine. No, it's not. The Word of God came along before, way before those folks did. We're either in Adam or in Christ we're either Satan is our father or God is our father. There's no middle ground. There just simply isn't. I know that's sometimes hard to hear, but actually it's, it's great news. At least you know where you stand, right? At least you know where you stand and maybe what you need to do to change that if God puts that desire in your heart. If your position has changed, that's what Paul is telling us, that you are no longer a slave to sin. Sin no longer has power over you. If you have moved from being in Adam to in Christ, from being under the penalty of sin to declared justified, from being under the complete power of sin to freed from that power, your desire will be to serve God and put sin to death. That's what he's arguing here. And the battle begins. The battle begins. So much and so many times... We're looking at Christianity, and we think Christianity is something to go to and to make everything just all hunky-dory in this life. Well, 
Actually, a war begins once you are born again, because now you used to love to sin, and you didn't think nothing about sinning. It was, it was something you desired to do, and you loved doing it. But now all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit's dwelling in you, and, and you have the Word of God, and all of a sudden, he's, it's continually saying, hey, what about this? Hey, what about that? And this war starts to begin. But the wonderful thing about the Christian life is, see, there's an ultimate war that has been won. And that is whenever you take your last breath on earth, what's going to happen to your soul? That has been taken care of. And this is what Paul has been showing us all through this chapter. He's been showing us the difference between if you are a slave to sin, that leads to death, the death, the final death. But if you're a slave to God, if, if you're a slave to righteousness, that leads to eternal life, life with God forevermore. Where one day we will be completely free from the presence of sin. That's just a, that's going to be a wonderful day. I can't wait for that day. Joe has lists and lists and lists of stuff he can't wait to get rid of. Be so good on that day. And the battle begins. The beauty of the gospel is we may be in a battle, but the war is won, as I said. Our king has secured our future. And the battle takes place specifically within our passions. This is where the war happens. It happens within our desires and our passions. Because once our, our desires and passions are enacted, this is what leads to action. This is what changes our values. This is, this is what changes the way we think. It's, it's these desires and passions within us. That's what Paul tells us in, in Romans 6, 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions, its desires. This is what we're fighting against. Is your desire today is either to serve God or not to serve God. Where is your desire lying? What is your desire today? It shows whether or not you are his or, or not his. What desire, passions, affections went out in the moment to moment of your everyday lives determines, again, as I said, what you value, what you do with your life, in many ways how you treat other people and the relationships in your life. It's all about your desires. Is it an affection to serve God or an affection to serve sin? The truth is, without the new birth or God's grace in saving us, we don't care about this war. Any other time, I've, I've kind of already said that. We, we've already, we, before Christ changes our heart, we don't care about this war. That's a good thing. If, if you're here today and you're like, I know I'm a Christian and I've been walking with God for a long time and I'm confident in that. And then, and then every once in a while we get this, this little whisper like, oh, are you really saved? All you have to do is go to the next time where you actually care about your sin. And then you know, okay, wait a minute. The Holy Spirit's working in me. He's working in me. I'm now confident I know that I am in Christ, that I am saved, that I am his. Right? Because before that, we just wouldn't care. We just wouldn't care. So the, the truth is without the new birth or God's grace in saving us, we don't care about this war. We willfully, enthusiastically serve sin with great joy. That's what it means to be an Adam. Maybe you're saying, but Joe, I don't serve sin. I, I love God and I am, I'm, I'm in church today and I, I, I'm not like X. I'm not like that person. We've talked about this also where we've been looking at the fact that we need to look at ourselves and not look at others for our righteousness, right? Meaning that 
that we don't justify ourselves by saying, I'm not as bad as this person. We look at the cross and we look at, at Christ and we say, hmm, my sin was pretty bad that Jesus had to go and die for it. That's our measuring stone. It's not if we're better or for worse than someone else. We've been talking about that a little bit. For example, we would all probably say, let me just give you a simple example from the Bible. We would all probably say, and some of you may know this story, some of you may not know this story, most of you probably do know this story. Um, for example, we would probably say that we have not sinned like those in Sodom and Gomorrah. Right? We know that Sodom and Gomorrah was a city that was destroyed by God in the Old Testament. Do you know what the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was? I mean, if we remember the story, it's like, oh, that's a pretty bad sin. I don't, I don't do that, right? Just to refresh you, Genesis 18 says, is this, is this is kind of what happens. The Lord visits Abraham along with two angels. He gives him the, the promise of a son and heads to Sodom. And the Lord uh, said this about the city. Then the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So the Lord visits Abraham. And he said, I'm going to go, and I'm going to, to see about this outcry of sin that's happening within this city. And, and if, if this is true, I'm going to destroy the city because they have sinned against me, a holy and just God. Then it, what happens? Abraham intercedes. Remember that whole time in, in Genesis where he's like, well, if there's 10 righteous people, will you destroy the whole city? And he goes through that, that whole litany of, of um, like, you know, nine people, eight people, seven people. He, he continues through that. So what happens? Is it, and he's doing that because he knows that Lot lives in, in Sodom and Gomorrah, right? He knows that Lot lives down there. The two angels arrive to Lot's house. He invites them in, and the people of the town try to break into Lot's house to get the men so they can do certain things with them, right? And what does Lot do? He offers his daughters. No, don't. These men are guests in my house. If you do these unthinkable things with them, right, it'll, it'll bring, bring condemnation on me. I'll give you my daughters, so Sodom's sin is sexual in nature. The outcry the Lord spoke about. But interesting enough, Ezekiel actually tells us the sin of Sodom, and it is not what you think. It is not the, the, the sexual nature of what the story shows us. Ezekiel actually shows us the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. Ezekiel 16, 49 says this, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and the prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. So what was the sin? So we, we can't sit and, and, and we, we, we consistently do that. We look at other people's, and this is how we justify ourselves. But if we're consistently trying to look at the root of our sin, what, what are these desires that we have? What are things happening within our hearts? We can't do that. We can't look at another person and justify ourselves that way. We gotta look at to the, to the holy God to do so. So what was their sin? Prosperity, comfort, excess, and indifference. Prosperity, comfort, excess, and indifference. 
In other words, they had plenty of stuff. They, they lived to make themselves comfortable, right? They had excess of, of everything that they had, and they were indifferent to those who were in need. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound familiar? We all can identify with the sexual sin, but sometimes these other things that we walk in, that we live in, I mean, to me, whenever you look at this, this kind of looks like the country that we live in. Prosperity, comfort, excess, and indifference. It may be the country that we live in, but it should not be the church of Jesus Christ. It should not be his bride. We should be different. We should be countercultural. We should be able to, to freely give. We should be, be able to step out of our, our comfort zones and step out of comfort to go and serve somebody else because of what Christ has done for us. If we do have access, if God has blessed us with access, we go and find someone that needs it and give it to them. And it's just amazing whenever we do that, that it just opens up God's floodgate, just like with the clothing closet downstairs. Again, we have never bought one piece of clothing for the clothing closet. It is given, it's given by others, and we wash it and put it out, and others come in to get it that, that truly need it for their children. We, we had some folks that come in last month that, that were, we had coats from the Lions Club. They did a, a, a coat, a winter coat drive for us. You should see the faces of some of these folks that they're like, man, I'm actually going to be warm this winter. There was an, a, even an, an older lady that, that, that found a, um, a coat that she didn't have one. I mean, it was pretty cold last, last month for the clothing closet and she rolls in in a t-shirt. It's just amazing how God works. It's amazing. So in no way can we ever stop and justify ourselves by looking at others and say, man, I'm, I'm better than that person, so therefore I'm justified. No, we need to search our hearts. We need to look at, at, at our desires. We need to, to take them to his word and take them to the cross and repent and ask him to change us and, and move in us. Again, the, the master you obey is evidence of whose you are. And what, is, what does Paul go on to say? He says, thanks be to God. He says, but thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have been becoming slaves of righteousness. So now we are set free from the power of sin, so therefore we are set free to go and serve God. The teaching of all that God has done to save us will actually take hold of us. Yes, we need to know doctrine, but that doctrine must take hold of us and begin to shape our thoughts, our values, and our actions so that our desires change and we want to become slaves of righteousness. Paul continues with what many commentators suggest is the reason uh, for the use of the imagery of slavery. He's, he says this in verse 19, I am speaking in human terms because of our natural limitations. So I, I know that, that the idea of slavery is, is, is not a good image. It's not a good image in our country or any place in the world. 
In fact, right now, I do believe the numbers say that there's more people enslaved today than there has ever been in the world. But he's just using this, this imagery to try to help us understand the gravity of being a slave to sin versus a slave to righteousness to God. The, the path that being a slave to sin leads, which is death, and the path of slave to righteousness, which leads to sanctification, which leads to eternal life, the compare and contrast. Romans 6.19, as I've been saying, I, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations, which is followed by a command, so now. Right? I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now, there's a command, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. This is, he's bringing his whole argument in chapter 6 down to a close. Yes, he's repeating himself. And yes, I know that I've repeated myself for five weeks now, and, and sometimes it, it's it, to repeat and repeat and repeat, but it's, it's, we must be reminded of this. He's reminding us to use our hands, our feet, our tongue, our brains to obey Christ, which leads to sanctification. This is so important to be reminded of, of over and over again. The goal of the Christian life is holiness. The goal of the Christian life is holiness. You want a purpose in life? This is your purpose in life, to be more conformed to the image of Christ each and every day. In doing so, man, you will change the people around you. You will change your place of work. It's amazing what happens whenever you're on that mission of how God uses you to change people's lives. It's incredible. I've seen it happen so many times. It's just incredible. So if we doubt that, if we doubt that the goal of the Christian life is holiness, what we need to realize that God actually established the goal before the foundations of the earth. That was the, the scripture that we read this morning in Ephesians 1. Even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. That's his goal for us, is that one day that we will be holy and blameless before him. We're just going back to the garden. We have been called to holiness. This is our new responsibility at the end of verse 19. This is not the optional. This is a command. In our pre-Christian life, we were slaves to impurity, and we yielded our members to increasing wickedness. But now in our Christian lives, we are slaves to righteousness, and we have the responsibility of using our bodies in a way that leads to holiness, meaning sanctification. Here's the climax of chapter 6 of Romans. Grace is not to be abused. It is to be cherished. Grace is, is not to be abused. It's to be cherished. How do we show that we cherish the grace of God? By living holy lives. <laughs> by living lives that show others that we have been set apart by God. That we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. That we are obeying his word. And when we obey his word, then there's certain things that we need to do with our, the members of our body to show that. This is, this is Paul's argument all through chapter 6. So how does he suggest we do this? Well, 
First, make sure you are connected with Christ. That's the most important thing. Make sure that you are in union with Christ. We spent two weeks on union with Christ. Make sure you are pursuing holiness, not just happiness. Make sure you are pursuing holiness, not just happiness. I'm, I'm talking about having the right purpose in life. God calls us to be holy, not merely happy. There are many things God brings into our path to make us holy that may not make us happy. Things like trials and suffering. There's some folks that, if you struggle with this, with the idea of how suffering actually um, matures you as a, a Christian and how, how suffering actually gives you a different perspective on life, and, and in that perspective that gives you greater joy, come talk to me. There are some amazing stories within our church that I can point you to. The people that have suffered immensely and with a smile on their face, and they say, but one day I'll be with Jesus. And in the meantime, he's working something good in me. He's showing me something different. He's helping me to love somebody more. He's allowing some of those things like comfort and, and all those other things to, to fall wayside and I don't pursue them as much as I, as much as I pursue him. There's some pretty interesting stories just within our faith family about how God uses trials. So we are to pursue holiness, not just happiness. And last thing, make right choices in the use of your body. That's the command that Paul is giving us. So what benefit is there for all this effort in living a holy life? How will it benefit me? I mean, everyone sitting here is probably saying, well, so what? This is the so what. How is this going to benefit me? Well, glad you asked. Paul gives us an answer in Romans 6, 20 through 22. He says, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But, when fruits, uh, but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you were now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and it ends in eternal life. Paul's comparing and contrasting all through these verses. When you were a slave to sin, you did not care one bit about obeying God. The fruit of your actions caused shame, caused guilt. It causes fear. This is what happens when we sin. And what do we do? Is, is if we don't turn to God with that guilt, shame, or fear, this is what they, they came about in the garden. If we don't Take, go to God with a guilt, shame, and fear. We go to something else that the world has created. And that is sin. We need to take it to God. We need it to take it to Him. And He's showing us why we can do that. He's showing us all that Christ has done for us. The, the, the power of sin no longer has power over us. And He says that these actions that, that cause shame, these actions that cause this, it leads to death. But now God has set you free and, are, and you are a slave to God, meaning you are striving to live a holy life. You're working and God is working in you, right? This is not something that you're earning. You don't earn your way to God. That God is working in you as you strive to put away sin. This is him working in us. Philippians 2.13 
Most of you could probably quote it by now because I say it quite a bit. For if it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure, it's God working in you. You do this together. This fruit is sanctification. It's a changed life. You're becoming more holy. And the outcome is eternal life. It's eternal life with God. Where there is no more shame. There is no more guilt. There is no more fear. There is no more sickness. This is Paul's argument. And it's been his argument from the beginning of the chapter. It's a matter of life and death. I just implore you to choose life, brother and sister, to choose life. He finishes the chapter with a short summary of what he wanted to say, but took a chapter to do so and took me five weeks to try to unpack. He had one verse, and he's just trying to help us see it from so many different angles. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That summarizes the whole chapter. This is what he's trying to show us. The contrast in verse 23 is between two masters, sin and God. That is why Paul has been developing the slavery image all through the chapter. How so? Well, consider how these two masters pay their slaves. Stop and think about this. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The slave master sin pays wages, and the slave master God gives gifts. One master pays, the other gives. What's the difference between a wage and a gift? A wage is something that you earn. A gift is something you don't earn and can't earn. A wage is a matter of debt and justice. A free gift is a matter of grace. You can take somebody to court for not paying you your wages, but you can't take anyone to court for not giving you a free gift. You can't do it. You deserve your wages. You don't deserve a free gift. Otherwise, it wouldn't be free. Piper summarizes all this well. He says this, now ponder this for a moment. Coming home to God, being indentured to God as our master is the true slavery for which we were created. It's the one true slavery because God really owns us. He made us and therefore he owns us. When we do, not, uh, when we do what he tells us to do, he owes us no wages. Owners don't pay their possessions wages in a true slavery. And there is only one true slavery in the universe, our slavery to God. Only God owns human beings ultimately. So to be enslaved to God is a homecoming to our true master. He's the one that created us. And he's a loving, just, faithful, holy God. Why is this good news? What makes this so good as that the one true master and owner in the universe gives gifts, not wages. What did we, if we have been slaves to sin, what have we earned? Death. But that's not what God gives us if we are in Christ. He gives us a gift of eternal life. That's what he gives us. He's a gift giver. 
Why is that good news? Because earning wages exhaust us, and we hope that the wage will make up for our effort. But getting gifts exhausts no one. Wages imply that the master needs our work, and so has to pay for it. Gifts imply that the master does not need our work and does not have to pay anything. The one true master in the universe has no needs, and that is why he never pays wages. To those who trust him, he only gives gifts. He gave us our freedom. He gives us Jesus. That's why his yoke is easy and his burden is light. It's the sweetest slavery in the world. He gives us freedom. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the, set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. So one simple question, brother and sister. Are you free from the power of sin? Are you free from the penalty of death? The only way that you are is if you're in Christ Jesus. And if you're like, well, Joe, I've been following Christ for a long time. Okay, so now it's a daily death. Each day we get up, And something comes at us and it reveals what's inside of us, our desires, and we must put that to death because we've been freed. We are free to to serve him. We are free. We are slaves no longer. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will work in our hearts to show us the areas of, of our life that, that maybe that we've, we don't believe that we are, the power of sin has been overcome. Lord, help us to turn and, and trust in you in that area. Help us to be willing to go to our brothers and sisters in Christ and ask for help. Be willing to go to the word and, and see what the word says about what we're struggling with. But most of all, that we would live as folks that have been bought to a good, gift-giving God, the creator of everything. He's given us the good gift of Christ, 
who took the penalty of sin on the cross, who took the power of sin when he raised from the dead, and one day when he comes back, he'll remove the presence of sin forever. (laughs) What a wonderful Savior we serve. What a wonderful God we serve. What freedom there is to be found living in that identity as one who is united with Christ. Lord, we ask for your help today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.